0: Hello. In this episode, I'd like to talk further about what I saw as some of the um, outcomes of the experience with the coronavirus. Last time I talked about uh, the isolation of many people perhaps led them to develop more independent thinking, but that's probably not going to be the case because, uh, as we know, American society has just a lot of conformity and perhaps that uh, isolation of people just may have reinforced that our cultural trade and perhaps a counter-revolution, in effect, because um, the whole group of Americans are aware that people were under isolation and could, in fact, become independent thinkers. And that is something that our culture strongly discourages. But also another aspect that I was thinking about is that when you're in that kind of isolation and facing a danger of a pandemic, getting near when you go out or having to watch your contacts so closely and watching the news, uh, trying to see... Um, where it's spreading, uh, what's happening with it, you develop a strong sense of your own survival. In other words, you can't feel guilty about taking good care of yourself. It seems like ordinary, in ordinary American society before the pandemic hit, if you had a certain amount of prosperity and you were a sensitive individual, you could feel almost guilty if you're doing good, or just being happy, just um, doing well, and that is perhaps the source of um, the liberal, what do they call it, liberal guilt, that is the source of liberals uh, tapping into that feeling of many Americans that uh, what they have they shouldn't have, uh, that there's poor people in America and around the world. Uh, that you're taking from, perhaps. And it, I, th- I think it is true that our culture plays in an idea with the, the constant stories of billionaires in the news. Uh, I think it might just drive home the fact in many people's minds that, man, those guys are billionaires. I just can't get too much because I don't want to be like them because then I would be taking from people. So that might be the kind of play that goes on in our culture in order to keep individual social demands at a very low level. Uh, So uh, so there, there remains some kind of sense of social stability here. So during the pandemic, you could not feel that way. And personally I used to feel that way in a sense myself. Feeling guilty about going to great colleges and um, just having tremendous resources that I have uh, with regards to personal development materials, uh, the best intellectual materials available in the world I have at my fingertips. The best books, best audio books. Uh, my friend, dear listener, you would not believe the kind of world-class access to have to almost anything available. But, so in any any words, you can see how that can be a threat to the social order. Because if you have millions of people that are staying in their homes and just lucky to survive and doing what they can to survive, once that pandemic's over, what happens if they start to make those kind of demands from the social system that they weren't making before because they were feeling guilty about it. So that's one, one reason I perceive that uh, when you're out, there is just a great group pressure now to, to conform. If you would walk around, you can feel the pressure on people, on you, don't make a demand because you've got to become part of this conformist group. And ironically, uh, these people could be helped if there was some kind of greater social insurance, ins- social insurance for them. And perhaps if we had that in place, starting in the early to late seventies, it would prevented that the Reaganism from coming, which was the first step in a very harmful process for America, relying on the free market. It would have prevented uh, Americans in particular the working class, would have had some cushion when that 2008-2007 financial crisis came. We wouldn't have had to turn to right-wing leaders like, or what do they call them, populist leaders, like Donald Trump or even the left-wing ambitions of uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Because we have to remember the extreme left-wing can be just as dangerous as the right-wing. And that is what scared a lot of voters in the Democratic Party and the power structure of the Democratic Party when Bernie Sanders seemed on the cusp of getting the Democratic nomination. They just thought that he would try to implement and we have to remember as well, of course, that the president just does not have as much power as is commonly perceived because he has to deal with Congress, the Supreme Court, lower federal courts, uh, you name it, that, have, that are checks on his power. So, but they were afraid that Bernie Sanders would put in some kind of new federal bureaucracy where it could limit Americans' freedom. And frankly, I was a bit concerned myself. I'm a liberal in the sense that I want to create a better world, but uh, I also try to look at the bigger picture and see what is possible, and also ask the important question aligned with that, why hasn't a better world or that perfect world occurred yet in world history? What are the barriers there? What could be the barriers? In particular, psychological barriers or what is it inside the human being that is preventing our just cooperation with other humans? And in many of my books, I discuss this. Uh, Like Sigmund Freud had some great ideas that uh, have really yet to be overcome. Freud's idea of the uh, dark forces of the unconscious, which um, uh, can prevent humans from getting along with each other, both on the individual level and the nation versus nation level. so i don't think liberals are, take a strong enough look at that fact so in my books i just i take on liberals i take on conservatives i've written books about how i think marxism is wrong because for number 1 it does just not take into account human group dynamics if karl marx wanted to create that proletarian society, who would be the leaders? Suppose he wants to put that working class in power, but who would be the leaders among those workers? And also, if you know anything about the history of the Bolshevik revolution in Russia, you know that these communist leaders had fierce battles among themselves for power. Strat- Trotsky versus Stalin's Lenin versus um, the Mensheviks who were were Russian socialists who but wanted a more moderate course. And then the Russian communists could not get along with the Chinese communists. So, uh, but why aren't these people cooperating? Well, it all comes down to the number one idea that Prevents that causes all human conflict and probably conflict in the natural world, competition. If humans are ever going to make any kind of more progress in, in their world, they have to get away from the fact that humans feel threatened by other humans. <coughs> Religious battles, economic battles, social battles They can all be traced down to people having fears of outsiders and trying to eliminate or deal with the threat. Just think about any problem in world history and um, you can trace it back to that idea. So as a result of the pandemic, our society became threatened by these individuals many pockets of millions of individuals that were just sitting there having time to think. And so political leaders in, the, in, our, in our country, I believe, were concerned about these people might start making demands on our economic system that uh, they hadn't made before. But apparently that hasn't happened. Um, but what I do perceive is that at least I don't, I perceive now in my own self that I do not listen to experts like I used to. Because during that pandemic, you would have one so-called medical expert come on and voice one opinion about the pandemic. And then 10 minutes later, you'd have someone who professed the opposite view, two so-called experts. So, uh, and I just believe America has a big problem anyway, relying too much on the opinions of so-called unquestioned experts. They go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or whatever, and supposedly we are supposed to believe everything they say. And they they always tell you their qualifications before they put them on, like, uh, okay, you can't question what this person's saying. So, uh, and I think that is particularly acute in our society right now. Because, like I say, solving that pandemic took America into a realm which it doesn't like to be in, which is using rationalism to solve a problem. And so our political leadership is threatened that people start demanding rationalism in other areas, like solving poverty or just dealing with economic inequities. But apparently what is happening now is that people, the general person is not thinking like that. They're all just trying to uh, fit into the crowd where um, everybody's normal, everybody gets along. Uh, one big stadium wave in America from Boston to uh, Berkeley. <coughs> but. But there still is that mask over many problems that our country has right now. Mainly the uncertainty of another economic crisis coming. You know, just the full reality now that we deal with an economic system that is always subject to booms and busts. And yet we still keep on going down that road where if, we, if the stock market's going up or the housing prices are going up, it's something that we should brag about. Not realizing that it's setting up the downfall. Americans have to have a find a way to develop a more level c- economy. But my major note in this this episode was a, was to say that to survive this, you had to take care of yourself. And so, uh, I think that is an important trait for most Americans to internalize all the time. Because then perhaps we could develop a more, fuller welfare state that helps everyone. Like I mentioned often in these episodes, it would take away the stress of American life. Which is, which causes many health problems and, uh, and it is true that Americans and Britons in the Western world have very high rates of anxiety and depression and mental illnesses compared to the continent of Europe. And why is that? Well, I don't think the answer is too complicated. It's it's because of this open dog-eat-dog competition that America and Britain can have. You just got to know... If, when people feel uncertainty, they get anxious. But if you're in Europe, and France in particular, or other countries where people are more cooperative, no, you, you've got to have a sense of more security there. And so that's got to take away your anxiety. And I'm not making this up, the scientific, scientific facts are out there to prove that. But why do we Americans refuse to look at these statistics? Why do we continue to be on a course where we do not have the best high quality of life outcomes here? Here again, I'm not making this up. These are facts. But you point out these facts and they will tell you, well, you don't like America and all this kind of stuff. But really, you don't have to answer those criticisms at all. But As the facts are there but thank you for lic- listening to this episode Goodbye.